Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Kanye West lives rent-free in the heads of the overseers paying to police the thoughts of black Americans. He's Kunta Kente, the protagonist in the iconic 1970s television series, Roots. Kanye yearns for freedom of thought, expression, and self-determination in a Democrat-controlled culture that denies black people rights other Americans take for granted. Four years ago, Kanye observed that 400 years of slavery sounded like a choice and suggested that black people were more mentally captured than physically enslaved the overseers erupted in outrage. Earlier in 2018, the overseers exploded in outrage when West pledged allegiance to Donald Trump and Dragon Energy. Well, yesterday, West trolled the overseers again, appearing at a Paris fashion show wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt. Black slave catchers blasted the rapper and fashion designer, claiming the t-shirt was, quote, dangerous, harmful, and irresponsible. West did not black down. On Instagram, according to TMZ, West responded by saying Black Lives Matter was a scam. He later posted that, when I said war, I meant war. It might take an actual civil war to free black people politically. We are so enslaved to the Democrat Party, leftist ideology, and secular culture that it might take bloodshed to free us. I'm not a supporter of racial idolatry. The slogan, white lives matter, is just as stupid, divisive, and idolatrous as black lives matter. But I get the point Kanye is making. We're not free. American culture demands that one race of people must serve the Democrat party or be subject to ridicule and banishment from the mainstream society. In a world designed and controlled by leftists, Black people cannot partner with God to save themselves. Only well-intentioned Black Lives Matter chanting white people can improve the lives of black people. Any other solution is fantasy to be explored in the make-believe land of Wakanda or a fictionalized retelling of 50-year-old woman kings in Africa. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. Uh, we're moving into the meat of the week. It's almost Wednesday, it's almost hump day, it's Tuesday. And fantastic show, as always, planned for you today. Delano Squires will be in the house. Royce White will be in the house. The Korean Cosell, Steve Kim will be in the house. Uh, we're gonna talk some Kanye West. We're gonna talk some Herschel Walker. We're gonna talk some Kareem Kyrie, Michael Irvin. Uh, what? A, oh, Monday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers. Are they better off without Trey Lance? Are they 
was was uh, Trey Lance getting hurt a blessing for the 49ers and the reassertion of Jimmy Garoppolo? We're going to do it all, but we're going to start uh, with Kanye West and White Lives Matter. Uh, Delano uh, Squires has written a terrific column uh, about this, and I wanted to bring him into the conversation immediately because uh, Delano, I like to call him the smartest man on the show. Uh, he's got a terrific uh, take on this. And, and Delano, I, I teased out my take at the top of the show where I just, you know, how mentally enslaved we are uh, to the Democrat Party. That was my takeaway looking at Kanye, troll his uh, detractors. There are many other thoughts I had because, you know, the picture he put out with ER. Candace Owens put out with those two together led mm -hmm. to some additional thoughts. But what was your primary takeaway seeing this picture and seeing the way people reacted to Kanye with the White Lives Matter shirt? Jason, it was two main things. Um, one is that it proved yet again that within the realm of black culture, so to speak, that black artists can do virtually anything. They can promote drug dealing, they can glorify murder, they can degrade women. Um, they can promote uh, stripper and, and, and porn culture. They can show up to award shows with two women on dog leashes. They can do any of those things and not suffer any social or cultural penalty. The one thing they cannot do is utter publicly any political opinion that is not approved by the aristocracy, the black cultural gatekeepers. Kanye proved that once again in his brilliant sort of trolling move. Um, and then the second piece is that ultimately. Can, can we? Oh, can, hold hold yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to break your rhythm, but okay. I do want to unpack your unique ideas. Okay. And so I, I, I do want to just pause for a second here and let me let me offer just some gentle pushback or just my thoughts. When I first saw it, I don't like the T-shirt. I don't like idolatry. I don't like Black Lives Matter. So why would I like White Lives Matter? I get, I understood his point of, of you know, he wants to troll these guys and throw it in their face. This is what you do. Mm. But I would have probably preferred him uh, to wear a t-shirt that said Black Lives Matter is a scam than a White Lives Matter, uh, a White Lives right. Matter shirt. Right. That, Cause that is the point he's making with the t-shirt, but he's using their tactics and, and it's, it's effective. It's leading to all this conversation, but just my gut when I saw it, I didn't like it. Your, I, you called it brilliant and genius. I guess you did like well, it. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that. I'm saying his, attempts to troll people were brilliant. Like, it, it was effective. Let me not use the word brilliant. Um, he was effective at trolling the people that he wanted to, to troll, right? Um, I'm, li I'm like you. I don't, I've, I've never worn any Black Lives Matter apparel. I've never posted any black squares. I've, I've never held my fist up and said Black Lives Matter. I don't need external validation from any other person, black, white, Chinese, or candy stripe, to affirm what I can look into my Bible to affirm, which is that every human being is created in the image of God. 
and our worth is inherent. It's not conditional on what other people say. So I, I was never a BLM supporter for, and we've talked about this, Jason. I, BLM is a scam, and I agree with you that that would have been a much better um, T-shirt, actually. Um, I, I'm not, but, but I'm also not the type of person um, that is into sort of policing people's thoughts and language in that way. Um, I'm dispositionally, I'm, I'm reserved. I keep to myself. I'm always up for a good argument, a good debate, but I'm, I'm not a type of person that sort of, you know, goes out to attack people's, you know, particular views on a personal level. But what I find is the people that do that most often, the people who most deploy terms like coon and uncle Tom and sellout and grifter and so on and so forth are the most sensitive when it comes to messages that they don't want to see. So the, the, it's not that these people, the Mark Lamont Hills, the Jamel Hills, they don't want equality in any sense. They want protectionism. They want to be able to lambaste anybody that they want, to, to, to trash and attack any person that they want. But when someone says something that they don't like, um, or when somebody expresses, or, or when they ex- express views that other people don't like, they want to be protected from from criticism and the and the effects of that criticism. So, again, I, I'm like you. I, you would never see me donning a Black Lives Matter shirt, and and, and certainly wouldn't see me donning a White Lives Matter shirt. Um, but my bigger takeaway was the response to Kanye, and that proof again that the Afristocracy. Um, the, the same people, I mentioned Mark Lamont Hill in my piece, um, who are prison abolitionists, love policing the thoughts of other black folks. The same people who are probably open immigration supporters love policing the borders of black culture. So it, it just shows their hypocrisy once again. It. it, it... I'm I'm trying and I reached out via Twitter to Mark Lamont Hill authentically because mm-hmm. he called it dangerous and irresponsible and and something else uh, I, I can't he called something else and and I was like man you making this sound like abortion and and right. you know <laughs> I, I would love to hear the explanation for why this T-shirt is dangerous. Mm. And, and why Black Lives Matter isn't dangerous, I, I would love to engage. And I think Mark Lamont Hill is willing to engage with people that disagree with him. But, but I, I'm trying, do you know why, because it, it seemed like either you or somebody was going back and forth with Jamel Hill, somebody I can't remember, it was Matt Walsh, I think. Matt Walsh, and, yeah. And yeah, no one could, she couldn't come up with an explanation of why they have chosen to use this word dangerous because it's like they all get the same talking points and they all use Correct. the same words. Correct. Uh, but what do you, if we had to guess, why is it dangerous? My, my sense is that they see white lives matter as um, in the same way that the Anti-Defamation League does, which is as a, a white hate group slogan, right? So they think that by saying white lives matter, Kanye is buying into the notion that uh, white people are under attack for their race, that white genocide is afoot, um, and that him affirming white lives matter will only embolden people who would want to make uh, America a sort of white European ethno state. 
um, and that by by doing this, Kanye is aiding and abetting, you know, for, for instance, people like the, the January 6th rioters, right? He's he's sending a dog whistle out to them to say, hey, you don't you don't have to say Black Lives Matter. You don't have to capitulate to the left. You don't have to engage in anti-racism, um, you know, indoctrination. Stand up for yourself. Tell people you're proud to be white. Put on your white power T-shirt, so on and so on and so forth. That's my guess in terms of what they think this could lead to. But you're right. No one ever explains anything because no one on the left ever explains anything. As you said, they, they get the talking points from Party Central. They read them dutifully. And when asked to explain themselves, they'll say, oh, well, I don't I don't have to. It, it, it's obvious. People should already know it. OK, so let's if they are saying it's dangerous and that's the argument, why is it not dangerous for people to say Black Lives Matter. And so let's say I hand them that, you know what, you're right. It could mm -hmm. lead to some entitled behavior and perhaps, and some, yeah, entitled behavior, and perhaps it'll lead young white people to start going into Walgreens and convenience stores and just looting and taking whatever they want. Perhaps if they did embrace that White Lives Matter deal, or maybe they would loot and burn down cities in there, they would be convinced that if, if you don't embrace White Lives Matter, we have the right to disrespect you publicly, uh, be violent towards you, loot and rob your stores. You know what? It could lead to the exact same kind of entitled mindset that Black Lives Matter has led to. So maybe I will grant them that point that it is dangerous. So, so from their perspective, um, they would say that white lives matter and black lives matter are not um, equal or parallel statements in the same way that white power and black power historically within American culture have not meant the same things. They'll say black power was, you know, a call, let's say in the 60s and 70s um, for black people to affirm themselves culturally, socially, politically. Um, for us to to get what was owed um, from the United States government in terms of equal citizenship, all right, in terms of safety in our communities, in terms of fighting back against uh, corrupt police officers, whereas white power has always meant an imposition of the will of a of a white majority on an unwilling and unwitting a black minority. That that's what they would say. Um, I, I do think that there's 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 something to that argument in terms of. Simply switching out statements does not make two two things um, equal in reality. They may be linguistically, but again, you you and you and I know that again when you've seen people say you know black power and they hold a fist up, they're not necessarily arguing for the same things that uh, a clan, a grand dragon, or a grand cyclops is arguing for when he says white power and holds his hand up. Um, th those haven't been you know th the same in the same way. I use another example. Some people say, well, there are HBCU, HBCUs. Why aren't there historically white colleges and universities? And the Mark Lamont Hills would answer, well, that's what Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, Duke, so on and so on and so forth have been in actuality. So, so part of this is, is rhetoric. But again, what, what simmers beneath, and this is my second point, Jason, is that your hardest core BLM supporter actually is at heart a White Lives Matter activist. Because if BLM was really about the protection and preservation of black lives, 
then its leaders would spend all of their time talking about the, the most pressing and existential threats to black people. They would talk about the homicide epidemic in many of our largest cities. In Philadelphia, Baltimore, St. Louis, over 90% of, of murder victims are black. Um, these people would not touch that with a 10-foot pole. What they do instead is either focus on a small number of incidents involving white police officers and, and, and black, oftentimes, uh, suspects, or fake hate crimes or quote-unquote Karen incidents where rude white ladies get into you know, interpersonal tiff with a, with a black guy. That, that's their bread and butter. Um, and ultimately what that communicates is that it's not black victims that matter, it's white perpetrators that matter. And the, the words, the thoughts, the beliefs, the values of white people across the country matter more than, those, than the words, beliefs, behaviors, and values of black folk. Um, and, and, th and that is what is evident both from the BLM co-founders and people like um, Jamel Hill and Mark Lamont Hill. You know, the, the, the place where I go to is, is such a secular worldview. Mm. And, and I'll go back to your first reference of like, no, I'm going to let God and the Bible determine the value of my life, not white people. And so they, they came up with the slogan, Black Lives Matter, and it sold, and everybody said, we're not saying other lives don't matter. We're saying that uh, in this society, black lives have never mattered. And, and it's like, okay, well, who, who determines the value of life in your mind? Mm. What, what, who's the standard bearer for your worldview? Mine is God, yours is God, theirs, seems to be white people. And yes. so even if, if you rolled me back to 1652 and someone in my family had taught me Christianity and, and I had adopted those beliefs, even if I'm tied up and in chains, I would be sitting and saying, you know what? God says that my life matters, I have value, I have as much value as anybody else. I wouldn't adopt the slave master's mentality that he mm. determines how much value my life has. And that's what I see from the black left. And, and this is what's so disconcerting and, and concerning to me. It's the total rejection of a biblical worldview. Yeah. And, and, and that is, my, I never see Mark Lamont Hill, Jamel Hill, Ibram uh, e X. Kendi. It's not that I follow these guys that closely, but I, I never hear them reference God or a biblical worldview. And, and it, it's either th that's a private matter and my religious beliefs that they've tucked it away. That's something I do on Sundays. The rest of the week, I'm out here in the world and, and screw God's standards, screw God's perspective. It's the perspective of white people that matter most, and I'm out in an argument with them every day. Uh, but but that, that's people, someone last week, this guy they calls himself Horatio Jones, says he's a minister, uh, and I've invited him on the show and maybe we'll get him this week. Uh, 
you know, he says he's been a minister for 34, 35 some odd years. And, and that's the conversation I want to have with him as a pastor because he's really caught up in the racial idolatry thing. And it just seems so biblically unsound that, I don't know, it's just, I, I just can't believe I've lived this long mm. to where this many black people seem to have rejected a biblical worldview and standard. Absolutely, Jason. I mean, a, a lot of these people tend to talk either about, they'll talk about the culture, I'm doing X, Y, and Z for the culture, or they'll talk about my, my ancestors, right? You know, I'm, I'm either, I'm not my ancestors because I'm not taking crap from white folk, or I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. But the one thing that many of them sort of rejected as it relates to the, to, to the people who came before them is that spiritual grounding. And I'm, I think you see it. There's a clear distinction between the civil rights movement of the 1960s, which was rooted in the, in the black church, right? And I've said before that there were some issues of doctrine among Dr. King and some of his contemporaries. I can go into those in a different day. But they were open. They were willing to open their Bibles, and they said the way we're being treated as as citizens is not consistent with the ethic of the Imago Dei, the image of God. And our white brothers and sisters are not treating us in ways that they should, based on who we say is our common creator. That that, that was the worldview, the dominant worldview of the civil rights movement that Dr. King led. But but Jason, by contrast, the the Black Lives Matter movement right, the most popular and celebrated, quote unquote, civil rights or racial justice movie, movement of the last 60 years, um, has is led by at least two of its co-founders are self-avowed Marxists, right? These are women who practice divination. All of that say your name stuff um, was, was related to, to trying to conjure spirits to communicate with people who, who, who had been killed pouring out libations, all of these things are things that they've, that they've spoken about and cop to. Um, so what you get is a very, very different type of movement because the seeds are different. Um, and, and what we're seeing germinate now and, and really grow and come into fruition uh, is, is a worldview that does not acknowledge God, that hates God, that hates the natural order, that hates the creation order. And that's why their, their policy planks always start with dismantle, destroy, deconstruct, disrupt, um, because this is this is not a worldview rooted in a creator. This is the worldview of the destroyer. And you brought up something earlier, particularly around abortion, that I, that I want to point to. It, it is abundantly clear at this point that if I were a black baby in the womb and my mother was considering aborting me, and she showed up to a Planned Parenthood clinic, there would be a much greater chance that I would be born alive if she ended up speak stopping and getting counsel from a, a white Trump voting conservative Christian voter than if she got counsel from a black self-avowed Black Lives Matter racial activist. And I've, I've actually, so when you consider it, Lila Rose does a lot more to save black lives than Patrice Cullors or Alicia Garza. There's actually an organization here in DC that sort of models itself um, after Harriet Tubman. 
they call themselves, they're an abolitionist organization. And what I'm starting to realize and put two, two and two together is that these radical racial justice organizations, the ones that talk about abolition, that are also hardcore pro-abortion, I'm starting to realize what they want to abolish is black folk, not the police, because those these views are not aligned properly. Because every time the left shows up to black audiences, their message, particularly when it relates to the black family, is always abortion, 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 never marriage and nuclear family. And that's and that's a worldview that people really have to 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 wrestle with. Let me switch it a little bit back to just a little bit more focus on Kanye West, see where we both land on Kanye West as it relates to force for good overall. I mean, in comparison to other celebrities, I would have to say yes. He's made some Christian music. He uh, is a promoter of free expression, free thought, political independence. And so I'm just wondering if I, am I grading him on a curve because he's a celebrity and compared to other celebrities, I'm giving him credit or is he just in general, in general, for someone who's bipolar and has all that money, kind of considering a force for good, where, where do you stand on Kanye? That's a great question. I think to be completely honest, and I'm gonna draw a parallel here, um, I, I have feelings about Kanye that are similar to some of the statements I've made about President Trump, right? Which is, there are certain things that you see, you say, wow, yes, I support that. And the moment your anticipation and, and, and your optimism starts to build, they go and do something that says, I don't, I don't understand what this person is doing. So, so in some respects, um, Kanye uh, limits the amount of good that he can do because he's so unpredictable. I was very high on Kanye after um, his his first sort of quote unquote Christian album. I think it was called Jesus is King. And I mean, some of those cuts on there, one of them sounded like a war cry. And actually my kids asked for it. They called it the Chick-fil-A song. When he says, you know, he, he said not being slaves. He's talked about protecting your daughter, teaching your sons. And I said, yeah, this is the type of hip hop I'm here for. And he said that, and then less than a year later, he's directing or a co-producer on Lil Nas X's Industry Baby video. So those two things cannot be reconciled. So it's, so just when Kanye says something, remember when he ran for president, he, he talked about abortion. He said, he said I think he said his, his mom saved him because his dad wanted to abort him. And he said that he, he wanted to abort his first, first child. And I said, yes. You, got, you have an artist, a, particularly a black man, speaking with such passion on issues of life. Yes, more of this. And then he goes off and does something else crazy. So, you know, he, his, his public spat with his wife, I'm not sure if his ex-wife now, but him and Kim split up and all the stuff that he was doing around that, right? So he's, he's too erratic for a person like me to put any sort of small T trust in, but I, I just... I, I, I judge his behavior on an individual basis. So I'll call a ball a ball and strike a strike, but I know that I'm not ever gonna get anything consistently good from Kanye, at least not unless he has, you know, a major sort of spiritual transformation in his life. The other part of my reaction yesterday was he's pictured with Candace Owens. 
mm. and that's part of the story as well. And and it, it, it's it's I get that Kanye West is a celebrity, mm-hmm. uh, a publicity seeker, uh, attention whore, for lack of a better word, and, and that's what he does in his life. He, he trolls, he does stunts for publicity. What, what I don't like is Candace Owens participating in it because Candace Owens operates to some degree, I thought, in a different lane in terms of she's trying to be a public intellectual. She is a public intellectual, uh, trying to be a serious commentator. And, and so maybe it's the journalist in me. I'm mm. here to observe and evaluate the culture and the movers and shakers in the culture. I'm not really here to participate in whatever it is Kanye or these other celebrities are doing. I'm here to interpret it, say how it applies to the culture and all that. And and so I I think that Candace Owens stepping in this lane and inviting the kind of backlash that Hmm. Kanye is inviting, and because of the lane, people, well, Candace Owens is in the same lane as Delano Squires and Jason Whitlock and Royce White and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I think some people would, well, yeah, Jason Whitlock would throw on a White Lives Matter shirt <laughs> and troll people. And, and you know what? Maybe I do, and I'm, I'm just playing games, because it's just like when we used to do the skits with mm-hmm. Uncle Jimmy. Those are my ideas, and I'm trolling uh, people that way. And so maybe I'm just splitting hairs, but I I didn't like Candace Owens participating in the stunt that Kanye West was doing. I I thought it was a bad look and will be used against her and perhaps other people who don't conform to what uh, the Democrat Party, how we don't conform the way the Democrat Party wants us to. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting point you raised, but I, I would say yes, Jason, and in your past, you've been a professional bear poker when you had the 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 person who people assumed was a white guy with the Colin Kaepernick uh, Afro wig and the fist up and right that that entire time when Cap was doing his thing, I mean, you, you were on his tail. Um, and I saw a number of segments. I saw many of the monos. You talked about this three quarter uh, uh, non-black couple, him and Nessa. And so but, but I think the difference is this. Um, it's, a, it's an important difference, but it's one that people I don't think necessarily think about. It's one thing to draw from a well that has a reservoir of water in it. It's another thing to draw from a well that, that's empty. And Kanye West over his career has done enough things to have a, a reservoir. If it's not goodwill, it's cultural legitimacy within the black community, right? When he came on the scene, his his story, you know, sampling, um, uh, I think it was Shaq Khan, right? The, the, through the Wire and his association with The Rock. And um, I mean, his first couple albums were, were really, really uh, a, a change in terms of hip hop culture. Then obviously when he said George Bush doesn't care about black people, that got him a ton of goodwill. And he rode that for a particular amount of time. 
people look past the fact that he was unpredictable and mercurial and some people said bipolar. The death of his mom um, gave him a certain sense of uh, built up sympathy within the community and say, look, Kanye's wilding out. His mom died. We don't know how we would react if something similar happened to us. So even by the time the MAGA stuff came along, there were still a lot of people who have been rocking with Kanye for so long that they, they would not totally cast him off. Candace Owens did, does, does not come into sort of the black political or cultural mainstream in the same way. She went from an unknown person, I think, who, who started her, her you know, own YouTube channel, something to that effect. She said she was an Obama voter and then sort of turned and created a huge brand and platform for herself with Turning Point USA, you know, um, you know, going to college campuses, very sharp, very intelligent. Now she has her own show on Daily Wire. I don't think she's drawn on the same reservoir as Kanye West. So even if they say the same things, I don't know that the perception from the larger community is the same because they're not coming from the same places in terms of their, their standing, uh, quote unquote, in, in the black community and within black culture. So, so I think it's, it's easier for people who are uh, likely to dismiss Candace Owens to do so and say, of course she's gonna do that, right? Her husband is white. Yeah, she, she thinks that uh, you know white racism is the biggest threat in America and, and so on and so on and so forth. They can do that to her or they, they will do that to her in a way that it's harder to do to Kanye. Let me think I'm going to summarize your point is, is you're saying Kanye made his name coming up through the Chitlin circuit, the, the black industry, whatever, playing our ni- black nightclubs or what, you know, the, it, it's, I'm and be speaking more of an analogy than, than right, reality, but in the rap industry and all that dominate, and, and, and maybe I'm giving myself, because again, anybody that looks at my record from the undefeated to speak for yourself to fearless or whatever, I have a different point of view, but I think my actions back up that my mission is to uplift black people and open their minds uh, and not at the expense of anyone else. Not at, mm-hmm. I'm not here to demonize white people because again, I, they're my brothers and sisters, no different than, than anybody else. But what I haven't seen from Candace is any actions that actually say there's any concern for black people at all. And so when she mm-hmm. throws on that t-shirt I'm just like, yeah, that's 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 kind of how I picture her show that, you know, wearing a White Lives Matter T-shirt around her show and the people she's working with. No one bats an eye uh, when she go. And again, I got no problem with who she married. Uh, I, I don't want to say but for the grace of God, but I could see myself in the exact same situation. I, I don't disparage that. But it just <laughs> everywhere she goes. She's comfortable in that T-shirt. I cannot mm. say the same for me. Uh, <laughs> and that's why I, don't, I wouldn't put a Black Lives Matter T-shirt on. I wouldn't put a White Lives Matter T-shirt on. I, you know, I'll put on you know, a cross or Jesus or something like that, that we're all brothers and sisters. But 
it, anyway, I, I don't know. I, I wanted yeah, to address I, that because it's part of the discussion. So, so ahead, I, I want to respond to that because I, I, I disagree. I don't think, I, I would not agree with the statement that Candace Owens has not done or said anything to prove that she is for black people, right? I, I, I don't agree with that general characterization. I think the, the difference, one is in perception, right? Because there is a different perception it, when a black person spends most of their time talking to white audiences. Um, there's a perception in terms of how that message is being received and who that message is for, right? Which is why what we do um, on the show is, is seen differently even than some other, you know, um, black conservative commentators because we make a, a habit of saying, black folk, we're, t- we're talking to you, directly to you. Um, so in Candace Owens' background, um, you know, her Blexit campaign, which is a political campaign to try to, I, I think from her perspective, wake up black voters, get them to, to leave the Democratic Party, so on and so on and so forth. But in addition to that, she's been a fierce advocate for marriage and a nuclear family. Um, She's brought attention to those issues in congressional testimony, I think on her show. I I just think her perspective is, um, I say things that I believe and are true for all people. And in doing so, um, I'm also speaking to black people. But but again, the perception will be different if the the majority of your audience is 90% white, if most of the time that you go to speak, you're speaking to audiences that are 90% white, people aren't necessarily going to think, oh, she's she's talking to and for black folk. They'll think she's talking about white black people in order to make white people feel better about them not addressing their racism. Um, and I don't think that latter one is a fair criticism, but, or, or in addition, one of the reasons it gets that to that point is because a lot of people on the black left, liberals, progressives, leftists, do not want to engage in debate, would not invite a person like Candace Owens to speak, even if she wanted to come, let's say, to Howard University or Morgan State or Hampton, a lot of those groups would not invite her. So in the same way that a lot of people don't want to engage with us, so the the opportunities for sharing different ideas are cut off oftentimes within, you know, with, within the black community. And I, and I think that's an unfortunate fact. I don't want to beat her up uh, because one, I, I think that she has a right to represent her view and, and it, it's, but, but I do just want to add, she does have some power because she has a, a massive following and uh, she's in, partnership with the people over at the Daily Wire. And so I, I, I do think she has not an obligation, but she does have the power to short circuit the system. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether uh, the HBCUs or certain churches uh, invite her to speak. She's got her own platform and she can speak directly to black people and, and, and make it crystal clear it, mm. that, look, some of the things I'm saying, you're not gonna like, they're gonna sound foreign to you, but I am talking to you. And, and these things that I'm promoting will actually be a benefit to you. 
and, and I just, from either tone or just, and again, I'm a writer, a train writer. I, I'm not sure what her background is uh, fully. You know, she, I think she kind of just fell into this and she's young and that's why I need to be careful. I don't want to judge a young person because we don't know where she'll be 10 years from now uh, and what her approach will be. It, it could, in my view, improve and she could make some efforts to make it crystal clear. Like, no, 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 young black girls, I'm talking to you. Here's right. what you need to do. Marriage, marriage. All, all of this wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, all of this stripper pole, all of this, uh, you know, is just not healthy. It's not a long-term solution. You're damaging yourself, you're damaging, anyway. Yeah. And just, you know, I just think there's, when you make good money like she makes, like I make, or whatever, to whom much is given, much is expected, and you know, I know she takes a lot of heat, but you just gotta bend over backwards, I think, and then look, I, I have a saying, no good deed goes unpunished. Trust me, the, mm. the, the, the same people that you get, give a helping hand to will be the same people trying to cut your hand off uh, two years later, who knows, but you just gotta deal with it, that's life. Uh, and, um, and, and hey, I'll give you the final thought. So, so one of the things on, 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 on this particular issue, I don't know if you ever saw, um, when Candace Owens was at that Revolt TV conference a couple years back, and it was, um, Jeffrey Johnson was the moderator, Killer Mike was on there, T.I. was on there, Tamika Mallory was on there, Katrina Pearson, I think, and some other guy who did not deserve to be on there. I can't remember his name. She was by far the most impressive person on, the, on, that, on that stage. Um, she made T.I. react emotionally. Um, he, he went for the applause lines. She was, you know, rich with, with data and content. And it was one of those things where, again, as impressive as she was, you have to understand the audience. These, these are people who have their minds filled day after day with the notion that black lives only matter when they're taken by white people, that um, abortion is the key to black liberation, that the nuclear family is not necessary for black communities to thrive. So it almost felt like she was speaking a foreign language to, to, to some, some members of the audience. So I think that to me was one of, if not her most impressive performance that I've seen in public. She was clearly in enemy territory. Katrina Pearson was, a, was an ally. Mike, uh, Killer Mike, I felt was, you know, sort of a co-belligerent, certainly not given to the left, but a Bernie supporter, so he's still a big government guy. Most of the other people on, on, on that panel were, were opponents, and I think she handled herself well. I just don't know how many other opportunities she'd be given to do that. And I think it's one of those things that for any person who either identifies as a black conservative um, or is has been labeled as a black conservative, we have to know the territory in which you know we're entering. Because people do this to me too. They'll say, oh, oh how is what you're doing impacting the black community? What, what are you saying that that's gonna help? And I'm like, I, sp I started writing with black and married with kids. I've been beating the drum that bl black communities need marriage and intact families to thrive, and that uh, the glorification and commodification of violence between black men and the degradation of black women is cultural suicide. I've been saying that same message 
with black American kids, with the root, with the griot, with the federalists, and now um, with the blaze. And if people say, well, I don't know how that's gonna improve the black community, then I can't help them. <laughs> Thank you, D. Great job Thank as you, always. Uh, all right, I gotta take care of some business here. Uh, talk to you about my good friends at Good Ranchers. You know who doesn't have spooky meats? <laughs> it's October, Good Ranchers doesn't. They deliver America's best meat and seafood to you year round. No costume of labels, no gimmicks, just great meat that shows up at your door so you can skip the meat aisle on your grocery trips. Right now, they're throwing in huge October feast where you can get over four pounds of meat for free, two pounds of their Wagyu ground beef and two and a half pounds of their better than organic chicken for free with any purchase of their bundle boxes. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com fearless to claim your special October feast offer today. Join the tens of thousands of Americans getting 100% American meat delivered to their door. Store-bought meat can be tainted with scary bacteria and has ghoulish inflated prices. Good Ranchers lets you save $25 on every box and lock in your price when you subscribe. Put an end to your meat buying nightmare by visiting GoodRanchers.com fearless to get your four free pounds of high quality beef and chicken. The real monster isn't under your bed, it's really in your fridge. Take control over your food with an October feast from Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Be a good soldier, support Good Ranchers. Uh, you can email me at fearless at theblaze.com. If I don't read it, someone on my team will read it. Email us at fearlessattheblaze.com. Royce White, it's my obligation on hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to uh, Minneapolis, bring in Royce White. I want to talk a little politics and Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker, according to the Daily Beast, uh, story says Herschel Walker paid for the abortion of a former girlfriend, I believe in 2009. Uh, Herschel Walker's son, Christian Walker, uh, put out a series of tweets uh, criticizing his father as a family man. Uh, and now I believe we also have a video from Christian Walker that he's put out as well that I think elaborates or goes a little bit deeper or clarifies his comments that he in his tweet stream. Let's play the Christian Walker. Christian Walker is Herschel Walker's son who is uh, gay for lack of just throwing that information out there. He's openly gay but has been a big time conservative and was originally a supporter of his dad uh, running for political office, or at least he uh, positioned himself that way. Now in his tweets, he's saying that everybody in the family told his dad not to run and that, uh, that his dad's not a family man and his dad hurt him and his family. Anyway, let's hear the video and then uh, we'll discuss it with Royce. I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom were downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. And you know my favorite issue to talk about is father absence. Surprise, because it affected me. 
That's why I talk about it all the time, because it affected me. Family values, people, he has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I was silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter, he lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. And so for the right to say I'm being suspicious for saying, hey, I'm, I'm done with the lies, when you all have been calling me saying, is this true about your dad? Gosh, we're not gonna win Georgia, this candidate all, that's been you. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what me and my mom have survived. We could have ended this on day one. We haven't. I haven't told any stories. I'm just saying, don't lie. Don't lie on my mom. Don't lie on me. Don't lie on the lives you've destroyed and act like you're some moral family man. Y'all should care about that, conservatives. And then for people on the left to act as though I'm responsible for all of the things that he has done. I've talked about father episodes. I've talked all these because they've been close to me, because they matter to me, because I went through it. That's why I've talked about it. So when you say, well, talk about your dad, I am. I'm saying this behavior is atrocious. Don't come for me. You don't have to like my politics. You don't have to like me. You don't have to. I'm just saying I'm done with the lies. We were told at the beginning of this, he was going to get ahead of his past, hold himself accountable, all of these different things. And that would have been fine. Go ahead. He didn't do any of that. Everything's been a lie. Everything's been downplayed. Everything's been cutting corners. The whole thing. And who, who is, whose expense is that at? Me, my mom, as we're chased down by the media, uh, we're, we're terrorized, all these different things. Uh, uh, people are questioning my authenticity. I'm done. Don't lie. Don't put this on me. You, this is a candidate issue, not a me issue. I wouldn't have spoken out if there weren't all these lies every day. Uh, that's a lot. That's a whole lot. Uh, Herschel Walker running against Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Herschel has been uh, polling ahead of Raphael Warnock. Uh, I think there were about 30 days out from Election Day. Royce, uh, do you think Herschel Walker can survive uh, this attack from his son? I don't listen to Pinocchio's. So I don't care what he has to say, to be honest with you. I mean, he just he's a Pinocchio. And for me to for me to look past for me to look past the psychological turmoil that I can see and act like it doesn't have an impact on his decision uh, to speak about Herschel Walker in this context or any other context or any other issue uh, is ridiculous. And I've actually come across this kid multiple times on social media, and I actually thought for a long time that he was doing a parody. Like, I thought the voice and the character that he was putting on on social media was like, I thought it was like a spoof. I thought he was being funny. Uh, but he's serious. So I'm, I'm just, I just don't listen to Finocchio's. And if the people of Georgia, you know, want to get, want to get uh, bogged down by, by this reality TV style politics, uh, then, then they get what they deserve. So, you know, I, I, I think that, look, it, it, my opinion on Herschel Walker is that I think he's in the right arena. Um, is he the deepest guy? No. Um, it, does he have the best the, the best uh, view of, of all of the issues that face us? No, I do think he believes in what he says, and I think he's in the right ballpark. And, and also I want to say 
whether or not Herschel Walker did pay for abortion is almost irrelevant um, because ultimately um, it, it, it doesn't change the fundamental impact of abortion on black communities across this country today. And for him to speak out against that the same way this young man claims to be a conservative, but is also homosexual. He obviously believes that the conservative values in some respect uh, are beneficial to the American people if that's the the, the shtick he's been putting on. Uh, so it's just, I mean, he's doing the exact same thing that he's saying that his father would be doing in this case. Uh, so, you know, whether or not he had abortion doesn't change whether or not abortion has impacted America, the black people in America, or America's overall uh, spiritual position. Uh, and also, I want to say that it is completely possible that Herschel Walker did pay for an abortion at some point in his life and is is remorseful for that. And in and, and, and the Christian faith, you're allowed to repent. A lot of these people don't believe in repentance. They wouldn't accept that he paid for an abortion and now feels, dif- feels differently about it because they don't believe in God. So repentance is never on the table. Uh, and, and, you know, so that that's that's how I feel about it. Royce, I'll say, I think Herschel is best to my knowledge has denied pain for the abortion. So that that's one. Uh, Two, I I would say and, and only I'm not asking you to apologize, but I just I've never heard the term Finocchio. What does that mean? It's it's a it's Italian for homosexual. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Okay. And so here's what I've been aware of Christian Walker. I, I thought his shtick, his conservative shtick, I was always suspicious of. But I, I, I will say this Herschel allowed Christian to develop this uh, social media following or whatever and do this stick and it was benefiting him. He seemed to be working with his dad to get him elected. And so Herschel's going to have to deal with the blowback of what sounds to me like a very irresponsible lifestyle that he was not willing to be completely transparent about. But for the grace of God, thank God, I don't have four kids. I don't have any kids. I'm not living that life. But it could have been me. I I have lived a very irresponsible lifestyle. But I liked, I talk about it. I confess it. I'm transparent about it. That's what Herschel Walker should have been if he wants to run for political office. I can't be mad at his son I can't be mad at his son for harboring some resentment towards a father who the son is saying, and I think it's very difficult. When you have four baby mamas and four kids, I think it's very hard to be there for your kids. And so I'm not surprised that his son has some issues. And so I I don't like what his son's doing at the last minute. It seems political. It seems like maybe he's been bought and paid for because he could have said this stuff months ago. He could have been taking this position months ago. But 
I can't be mad at the son. I haven't walked a mile in his shoes. My father was there for me throughout my entire life. Uh, my parents only had me and my brother. Uh, and, you know, my father was a responsible whore, for lack of a better description, and only had me and my brother in his first marriage uh, and was there for, again, I, I, I can't demonize this young kid for having a problem with Herschel. And I, I, I don't, now, would it compel me to vote for Raphael Warnock? No, because I think Raphael Warnock is a minister who calls himself a pro-choice pastor. And I yeah. think he is every bit as phony as, as potential Herschel Walker. And this is the situation we get in in politics. You, people are being forced to choose between yeah. two bad candidates of low character. Well, first, first, let me say this. <laughs> Christian, Christian men need to stop whipping themselves in front of anti-God atheists. Christian men need to stop whipping themselves and trying to, uh, um, you know, accommodate the criticisms of hypocrisy from anti-God atheists. If you've had a sinful life, if you've led a life that is uh, off the path of what God would want you to live, that's for you to discuss with God. That That's for you to to confess and come clean to and, and, and reconnect with God. Um, in politics, I will say that everybody has a past, everybody has things about their life that they wouldn't want to be central or the focus of their political run. And in some respects, that should be the case, because a lot of what people have gone through individually uh, d does not have a, a, a serious, a, a definitive bearing on their ability to vote or represent the American people in the interest of the American people. But we have this desire to turn American politics into reality TV. And so we now have a reality TV government. And I say that because I have four kids by three women. Two of those kids live in my house. Two of those kids I see often. One I would like to see more often. But anytime we talk about children and children bearing, let's frame it properly. Because the anti-family court, the anti-family court is hell bent on aiding and abetting the anti-human ethos of our American culture. They want people to they want to disincentivize people from having children if they can't provide the superficial material lifestyle that the American culture deems necessary for each individual child, which is radical materialist in nature. So I disagree with the premise. I would opt for a man to have sex with a prostitute and bear a child rather than walk around with the with the with the belief that childbearing is not necessary at all, that there, there's nothing important about childbearing. And those are the two sides of the coin that we face. Now, is there, are there optimal circumstances to have a child? I believe so, because I'm a Christian, right? Get married, have kids, and, and have a, a, a nuclear family. Absolutely. But not at the expense of not having children at all. I love my children, four beautiful children, and I've told you before, that I believe it was an info war for the Christian, the Christian faith and the Christian community to get off on the, get off the beaten path down this, this, this lane where we tend to almost demonize bastard children, right? Children that came out of wedlock. That was the predicate for Roe v. Wade. 
Don't get it twisted. The predicate for Roe v. Wade was to say if you have a child that isn't in a traditional, that doesn't come from a traditional relationship and in, in, in what was depicted or desired in America, then get rid of the child. You don't need the child. The child doesn't deserve to live. We got to be honest about what's going on here and, under, and understand what, what's, what's implicated. If Herschel Walker had an abortion, um, then we should pray for that child's soul. And, and Herschel Walker should pray for his own. Well, I, I understand in theory what you're arguing. You know, I, I think many people would make the argument that Jesus was a bastard child. Uh, and certainly was probably seen that way in that society at that time. Absolutely. And he saved the world. I, I, I get it. And so I'm not, I don't have any interest in demonizing bastard children, but I, I do, I think, and I made this argument last week on the show, I'm reading Tony Evans's book, Kingdom Politics, and we had this discussion, yeah, it was on Friday, or I had, yeah, I had this discussion on Friday with Dave Shannon. The, the, and I get that procreation, very, very important, and, and that the left is against it. But the left is against family. And, and I believe there's consequences to this chaotic, dysfunctional family structure that we're normalizing in America. And, and, her, and again, I, I'm, I can call it up here, but I quoted from Tony Evans' book in my monologue last week uh, about you, you tear down the family, and he said, I can just do it from memory. I don't have to quote it exactly. He, he basically said you destroyed the family, uh, gender confusion, identity confusion is going to go up, crime's going to go up, chaos is going to go up, everything. And so w when I look at Herschel Walker's son, and, and perhaps if Herschel and his mother had been married, uh, he would be gay because he was born that way, I don't know. I do know that this family chaos and disorder that we have, this disruption, and when I look at, uh, I'm speaking my opinion, I, I can't back this up factually, but when I look at how much uh, non-traditional sexual lifestyles and identities seem to be prevalent at an incredible rate among black kids, it's directly connected to 75% of these kids uh, being born in non-traditional homes. The, the, but, what I read but, in Kingdom Politics and what Tony Evans and other ministers and other people, the, the importance of family and what is a consequence of it when you destroy family. And so I, I'm sympathetic toward Herschel Walker's son. I'm not surprised that he has flipped the script at all. I, I've always been a little like this conservative thing with him doesn't make sense. And, and here we are 30, 30 some odd days from the election and the guy's trashing his father. This seems very predictable to me. He was going to be bought and paid for at some point uh, to do this to his dad. But at the end of the day, I, I can't blame point fingers at others. I got to point it at Herschel Walker 
And to me, some people uh, just, if they can't stand on two feet and say, this is what I did, this is why it's right or wrong, I'm gonna be honest and transparent about it. If you don't got the balls to do that, don't get involved in politics. Absolutely. You know, I agree with that. I think Herschel Walker definitely should, uh, you know, if it's true and if he did that, he definitely should come forward and just say that. I think that'd be a, a, a great opportunity and, a, uh, you know, a, a great moment for the American people to have somebody who wants to represent them have that type of clarity and honesty uh, and, and maturity. But but again, I'll, I'll go back and say um, it, it, it's. Yes, the family is the, the left is anti-family. OK, and, and the left has done a number politically on the black family intentionally. And it was white liberals. So there is a racist, the a racial component to it, although they're pretty anti-family across the board. They're, they're equal opportunity in their anti-family spirit. Um, but I, I view that issue as being secondary or tertiary to them being anti-human. They're anti-human and they're anti-truth, which makes them anti-God. Because in Christianity, especially Catholicism, we believe in the logos. We believe that that God is truth. And to be to be close to the truth, as close to the truth as possible, is to be as close to God as possible. So the left is actually anti-truth and they're anti-human. And the byproduct of that is being anti-family. Uh, so there's a hierarchy there. And, and I always guard against the anti-human sentiment before I guard against the anti-family sentiment. Because we can't act like in these broken households that these women didn't still have a choice in how they parented these young men. See, that, that's, what, that's what I don't want to get away from. There, 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 there is a crisis of femininity that stems from a failure of masculinity. That goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, you could say, with Adam and Eve. You know, Satan was the first beta male and, and Adam was probably the first cuck. Um, but, you know... There's still a choice. There are women out there. There are single women out there that if they thought differently, if they if they believed differently, if they had different female leadership, they could raise children adequately, competently. And there are some that do in, in, in failed marriages. Um, but but <laughs> the marriage, the marriage divorce rate is a woman initiated thing. So how do we blame Herschel if, if Herschel was married before or whoever's been married before? Most of 80 percent of divorces are initiated by women. And while they say it's initiated mostly by infidelity claims, I would tend to disagree with that. I think women are radically um, discontent with whatever male partner they end up with because they have an ever expanding uh, view and and hyper inflated view of the man that they deserve. None of them are content. None of them believe a, a, a hardworking a uh, blue collar man is 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 ideal It's something that you should you should want to search for. Um, they, they either want a hyper rich man to to bind them and beat them like Fifty Shades of Grey. That was a very popular, uh, uh, you know, culture that just passed in America. But that's real. They, they, they either want a billionaire who's 25, who's in the manufacturing business to tie him up and beat him or. They want a man who's so sensitive that you could almost claim he's a woman because then he'll understand them uh, well. So, I mean, these things stem from very fundamental issues between men and women that go back to time, to, you know, time immemorial. And, and I'm just not going to whip Herschel Walker or throw the blame on him. I'm not going to do it because I, I know what it's like to be with women who are radical materialists, who, who believe they're the center of the universe and believe that they want to replace God. 
And much of it is due to a lack of male leadership. So in that way, you could say that Herschel's, you know, morally culpable. But but come on. I mean, the culture is the culture. So. Royce, I am not. Comfortable. Uh, putting pressure on anybody or, or so let me just say this feel free to pass on this question and 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 you know we're all good and but but I I have to this conversation demands that I ask this question yeah your 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 own personal situation do you think that that is coloring your view on Herschel Walker 100%. Not only my own situation as an adult male, but my own my own experience growing up in a black community and watching the dynamic between black men and, and black women and, and how relationships come together and fall apart for reasons that that stem from very, very pernicious cultural cultural uh, poisons. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, in my situation was different. I had a kid on a one time on a one time situation when I was in college, that was my oldest daughter um, and, and me and her mother had no type of relationship at all. I was, you know, 19 and at college and and I was kicking it and, and living, living uh, irresponsibly for sure. Um, but my daughter's healthy. She's, you know, 11 years old. She's tall and beautiful and smart. And and I've been around her as much as I can. And, and you know, th- that that situation was more of um, the mom wanting to use the child as a way to carry out her resentments towards me for us not having a relationship or us not ha- ever being together or me not wanting to have a, a relationship with her, even though she had had a child. And, and so, you know, those things come to pass all the time in the black community. Children get leveraged against men all the time in the black community and against men in all communities in America. It's become a normal practice. I've experienced it myself. The anti-family court is in on it. They help women leverage children against men, and they don't care about the children. It's never about the children. It's about creating pressure uh, and, and strife on male leadership. Don't we as men have some control over that as it relates to either abstinence, wearing a condom? Of course. These things are under our control. We don't have to be victims. Of course. Of of course we have a a say in it. But but my point is that let's fight the right war. Let's let's have the alpha men actually fight the right war against the beta men who want to use these these natural. These natural flaws that exist in the human evolution. I mean, these a a man having sex with a woman and bearing a child out of out of ideal circumstances goes back to uh, before there were calendars, (laughs) you know, before there was a civilization. This is one of the oldest, you know, uh, stories in the book, literally. Uh, So but but let's let's fight the war where they need where it needs to be fought. Let's fight against a beta male under undercurrent in society or now they, they actually lead our society in empowering women to leave the traditional women role. I mean, that is what we're up against. There is a fight against men that says women don't need to be women and they shouldn't strive to be women. They should strive to be men. And in striving to be men, if a child is, is, comes to bear out of a, a relationship, then why wouldn't you use that child against a man? Because we live in a patriarchy. 
and anything you can use to gain leverage on a man in this corrupt, unfair, patriarchal society, you should use it, and you should use it proudly. I mean, that's abusive. Royce, that's just, yeah. Here's what I would say. Here's where we perhaps have disagreement, or I wouldn't even say disagreement, but my, my thought is I'm right there with you. Let's fight the beta males. Yeah. But the only way to win that fight is to conquer the man in the mirror first. No doubt. And so as much as I want to uh, fight the beta males and, and, and quite frankly reestablish the patriarchy is, I have to win the battle with Jason Whitlock. Mm -hmm. Jason Whitlock at 370 pounds, he ain't going to beat up no beta males. I'm going to run out of breath and air before the fight even goes past the first 30 seconds. So there's things I have to correct and I'm working on and I'm, I ain't 370 pounds no more or, or whatever. But, and so there's gotta be a purifying of us. That's the one thing I, and it's again, it's, it, it's the one thing I've realized is like the change I wanna see in the world has to start with me changing first and being what I want to see. And so I can't, you know, in order to win this fight, there has to be a better version of Jason Whitlock and Royce White. It has to start no there. Once we correct us, then we can then go on and conquer the beta male culture. And, and, and once women see, oh, look at Whitlock, look at Royce, look at TJ Moe, look, look at men of honor, and there are plenty of us out there, they're going to they're gonna fall in line and back, in my view, they will fall in line because they'll have they, no choice. The, we'll, the, what we'll be creating is superior, far superior to this lonely, they're the leaders, they're this, they're that world that they're creating. No, no, no. See, this, and this is the earliest story, right? This is the Adam and Eve motif is that the, the devil's pitch is much more, is much more um, attractive in the physical world. This is why the, the, the saying that the fight is against the fleshly rings so true, because the devil's pitch is actually better if you believe that you only have one life to live. And that has become the, the, the central spirit of, of, of narcissistic people in general, male or female. But it really, it really has a grip on, on the feminist mentality. So it's like, no, they will opt for the... The, the reason why women choose weak men is not because uh, it makes them happy. It's because they like feeling like they are in control more than they desire their own peace and happiness. That's what time and time has shown us is that this and they end up getting divorced with those men often. So, I mean, it's 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 almost like a, it's it's almost like a, a, a dupe of, of biblical proportions. It's like I want you to be weak, but then ultimately I resent you for being weak and then I divorce you for being weak. And then I go find another man who's just equally as weak or more weak. Then I divorce him, too. And I have kids and I'll use the kids against you. So it's you know, it's just a not we we have to be very deliberate about our understanding and, and just picking apart these issues. So for me, I look at it and say, do, do politics control or supersede individual choice and free will? No, they're meant to influence. And the influence on women is to reward and incentivize the movement away from a traditional woman role. And men have to exist in that. And we also have to continue to procreate in that. So should we get married to women who we know are radically, radically immoral and narcissistic? 
Should we forego childbearing because women are radically narcissistic? No, I'm saying no, absolutely not. We should have children and do the best to father those children in the circumstance we live in, because we live in a culture where the government has incentivized divorce and they've incentivized and subsidized abortion. They're anti-human. They're anti-family. They're anti-God. So should we stop having children until that's not the case? No, we have to fight against we have to fight against the spirit that exists today where it is. I wish a Jason Whitlock would have a child. We should have more Jason Whitlocks. I think I don't think we have enough of you, to be honest. <laughs> I'm just telling you like it is. We need more of you. Three. How about four? I would take them and I would take them not in ideal circumstances, uh, you know, if that needs to be the case. But but, you know. I could easily be in a case where I'm 60 years old and, and because of my beliefs, uh, not have any children and die with no children. And I think that's kind of what the devil wants. He wants people to be so chaotically distracted that they just forego having children altogether. Eventually we die out. That's why Elon Musk says we're in danger of having a population collapse. Right. It's because people don't want to have kids anymore. Because why, why go through the hassle? As always, Royce, you've given me much to think about, particularly this ending, uh, because you've described my nightmare. Uh, <laughs> but uh, man, uh, that was awesome. I may, I'm gonna try to figure out how to bring you back tomorrow uh, because we didn't even get to Kareem and Kyrie uh, and there's probably more meat on this bone, but thank you so much. Awesome job, appreciate the transparency. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back. Uh, Got to roll out to Los Angeles and uh, bring in the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve, I've got breaking news. Breaking news. Uh-oh, I just clicked off of it. Tom Brady, Giselle Bungeon hired divorce lawyers amid marital woes, according to sources. Let's read from the story. Tom Brady and Giselle Bungeon seem to be heading for the end zone. Both have retained divorce lawyers. Multiple sources tell page six exclusively. As previously revealed, the couple have been living separately for the past couple of months following an epic fight, and they're now apparently looking at dividing up their multi-million dollar empire. Uh, quote, I never actually thought this argument would be the end of them, but it looks like it is. One source who, uh, in the know tells page six, I don't think there will be any coming back now. They both have lawyers and are looking at what sp a split will entail, who gets what, and what the finances will be. Mm. Mm. 
Uh, Steve, I got to say, I'm sad to hear this news. Uh, I'm not surprised. If anybody's been listening to this show, you know whose team I'm on. I'm on Giselle's team. I think Tom Brady has been very selfish here. I think, wasn't it just that yesterday I was sitting here talking about Antonio Brown and bringing this man, this predator, into their home? Uh, and that whole situation in Dubai, I thought a bad look for Tom Brady. Uh, he's selfish about his football career. He told this woman he was retiring and he was going to come home and focus on his family and kids. I think 20 some odd years and seven Super Bowl championships is more than enough. I think this woman had a right. Uh, she, he changed the expectations. She thought last season was the finish line. He, he, he set those expectations when he announced his retirement. He pulls the rug out from underneath her. I'm a thousand percent on Team Giselle, and I know I'm the sexist pig on this show that's always caping up for the man, but not here. If this is the end, I blame Tom Brady. And, and Giselle, if you're listening or watching, I just happen to know a single uh, sports writer and broadcaster uh, living in Nashville uh, who, you know, would be a great shoulder to cry on. So. Now, go ahead, Steve. Well, Jason, first of all, uh, good Tuesday to you. Uh, I will say this. I thought the divorce with Belichick was always inevitable, uh, but I thought here the kids were going to make it. But there is good news. The Buccaneers have their quarterback for at least the next four or five years till his 50th birthday. <laughs> but, but to be a little bit serious about this, um, Giselle always thought that she could outlast football, that eventually that – this was going to be a career with a finite timeline like most athletes, except Tom is the anomaly. Most football players in their early 30s are used up. This guy might actually go into his late 40s. I don't think that's done, has been done since George Blanda, now that I think about it. Very few football players actually get to the age of 35 and 40. Uh, I don't even know the last guy that was this old playing at such a high level. But the reality has hit Giselle, along with many other things, that um, Tom Brady was married to football. I just happened to be the uh, mistress. I, I know we're two single guys sitting up here talking about this, and, and it, tomorrow I'm going to address it in the harmony, and we'll have Dave Shannon here, TJ Moe, uh, Pastor Anthony, and we'll go a bit more in depth. But I, I'm going to circle back, Steve, and put you on the spot. Who do you blame? Again, I, I, you just gave the explanation of what happened. Is there a bad guy in this situation? I'm totally on, I think, Brady's the bad guy here. You get into a relationship. This woman had reasonable expectations that last year was his last year. She supported him for virtually his entire NFL career. They've got three kids. Give up football and get into this world and life with these kids. Kids need the attention. And, and again, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Team Giselle, and I, I, it's shocking yeah. me that I am. But I think Tom's a bad guy here. Look, we're not the fly on the wall. 
we we've never been a part of their intimate discussions or the arguments. I think the New York Post story talked about a blowout or a blow up and how that was happening more and more. But let me just put it to you like this: from what we know, back about seven eight months ago, he retired, and I believe it is reasonable for any wife to say, okay. You have now planted the flag. You've made a declaration that I'm going to move on to the next chapter of my life. And I'm going to devote more time to the family. And there are kids involved. And that's an important variable. Okay. Um, At that point, I will say that Giselle has a right to say, okay, you are now retired. You've gotten your share of football. I've been patient. Now we can move on. And then to rip that away when that relationship may have been fraying the last couple of years to begin with, yes, I, I do put this on Tom Brady. Mm, all right, I forced you into taking a side on this. All right, now let's go into super hey, speculation. Come on, and, and I always just do that. Have, have a little fun here, a little super, super speculation. Uh, Tom Brady is 45. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's look into the future a year from now. How old is his next girlfriend? I'm going to say this. It'll be younger, but not the Leonardo DiCaprio younger. I I get the sense that he wants younger because, hey, look, everyone wants a trade-in and an upgrade. But I get the sense that Tom, he's an athlete. He's going to have a lot of options. Trust me, he's going to have his primary receiver. The second, He's going to have his check. He's going to have every – I mean, trust me, the market is good for him. I, I mean, for Tom, the, the, he's like the first guy getting in on Bitcoin about 12 years ago. He's good. Um, he's 45. I, I would say with yep. the options he has, the money he has, he's living in Florida, I, I would go in the range between late 20s to mid 30s. I think that's a good middle spot, don't you? Uh, <laughs> you, yeah. You asked the question. I you gave just, it. To you. Late twenties, late twenties is DiCaprio territory. No, in my view. No, DiCaprio. I, look, I know DiCaprio no. has a cutoff of twenty-five, but no. that's territory. How old is Leonardo DiCaprio? Hold on, DiCaprio at that twenty-five is putting people on waivers. Give me a break. That's when he tells a girlfriend through the assistant, "Hey, uh." Young lady, uh, Leonardo would like to talk to you. P- please bring your playbook. Yeah, Come he's on. 47. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. He's the same Thank age you. as Brady. Look, I Just was saying. going to go, I was going to go age 28, which is 17 years younger than Tom Brady. That's my speculation. It'll be 28. She'll be unmarried with no kids. But let's keep this in mind. Brady has a baby with Bridget Monaghan, is, is yeah, that right? the actress. Yeah, has a baby with her. He's got three kids with Giselle. He's probably going to get a third wife. He, he's, he looks like baby Donald Trump here uh, to, to, some, <laughs> to, to some degree. Okay. And, and now he's, in my view, he's going to go much, 17 years, you know, to me, a responsible choice at his age would be a 35-year-old divorcee. That, that's the route I think he should go. Uh, but I think he's going to go much younger. I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same thing if I had his options. 
Uh, I, I, I just, I would, I'd love to get a look into his Instagram DMs right now. Uh, it, it's it's got to be off the charts. Right. Look, a man, as Chris Rock once said, the great philosopher, uh, a man is only as uh, honest and as loyal as his options. Well, also, selection matters based on your place in in society. And as the late, great Kevin Samuels would say, this is a high-value man in every respect. Still at the top of his game. He's aged very well. He's good-looking. He's famous, and he's rich. I mean, that that is the royal flush of having options. Um, and if 40 is the new 30, um, I guess 35 is the new 27, I guess. I, I mean, look, here's the thing. I don't know if I would ever get married again if I'm Tom Brady. Think about it. He's already had one child, like you said, with, with uh, Bridget Moynihan. Then he's got a family that he raised with Giselle. Is the third time really the charm, although he's only been married once? I don't know. At, at this stage of his life, again, I'm going to say it again, um, when it's all said and done, he's really married to the sport of football. Tell me this. Does, does he go with another celebrity or does he step out of the celebrity world no. and get a civilian? I, 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 I think he should. <laughs> I think, I, I, th- I think it's, I think the mistake he made with Giselle is he got someone that was equal to his finances, if not superior to his finances. He's got him a little baby woman King over there and it's a mistake. He needs to get, he needs to go find him a Hooters waitress, yes, uh, uh, someone on the wait staff at a at a pool in Las Vegas, so, something like that. Someone who will be grateful. But the problem, okay, so let's go with this scenario. Because Giselle has her own bank, uh, you know, the whole alimony situation is different. It wasn't cheaper to keep her, as they say. Now, the issue is if he, if he falls in love and puts a ring on someone that's relatively anonymous, oh, boy. Guys, you better check that divorce law in that particular state. Remember what Eddie said, Hoff, Hoff, you mother. Remember that one, that old famous line? So be careful. Be <laughs> careful, Tom. Just saying. Just saying. So, Just one opinion. We're going to move on here because I want to talk some ESPN stuff. Is she or is she not a celebrity, his next girlfriend? No. No. Just, just make it. I, I wouldn't do it. Look, I think the most... Um, suffocating thing about being a celebrity or an A-list or something I would never know about, but I've seen it, is that wherever you go, especially in this TMZ era, and it's not just a paparazzi now, because now it's 24-7, 365. You are constantly living in a glass house and under a fishbowl existence. I mean, you can't even go out to the local diner and, and pick up a roast beef sandwich and just hang out a little bit without everyone you know, putting out their phones and then asking, because I, I trust me, I've been around it. I think it's terrible. I, you know, I think Andy Warhol or somebody once said, being famous is fun for about 30 minutes a day. The other 23 and a half hours, it's really like, it's really suffocating. And if I'm Tom Brady, I just want to be with somebody that I can stroll down the sidewalk, walk my dogs, do whatever I need to do, go to my son's youth sporting events and just be a father and a regular person. Now, being Tom Brady within itself, he's already given that up years ago. But then you add on someone that's known internationally. Now, that's the difference. She wasn't just known nationally. 
She had exposure all throughout the world. I think there came a time that maybe even Tom was sick of it. All right, let me move on to uh, circle back to a topic we discussed yesterday. More information uh, has come in that I wanted us to analyze. I think you sent me yesterday Michael Irvin on uh, First Take, I believe, yesterday, uh, doing some incredible work. But, but before I show Michael Irvin, I want to show ESPN Sunday show, ESPN Countdown, their NFL show, and how they talked about Tua Tungvaola. And I, I want to be clear here, this clip we're going to play, this is them kind of defining the conversation based on the way the Dolphins handled Tua in the Buffalo game. Not the Thursday night game, in the Sunday game before that. This is them going off on Mike McDaniel and second-guessing the way the Dolphins handled Tua in the Bills game where he was knocked out or dazed and stumbled off the field and then eventually returned to the game. Here are the guys on ESPN Countdown uh, going after the Dolphins for that. He can't, he's got a teammate holding him up. On Sunday, yeah. Like, this was an epic fail by the no NFL, question, epic yeah. fail by the medical staff, no epic question. fail by everybody. Let's learn from it. Like, we've come a long way. I get it. But, like, I don't need a degree or a medical. Like, if you can't walk off the field and just, just save it with this, like, oh, he had a back injury, he had an <laughs> ankle injury. We're not that stupid, okay? This was an epic fail. I treated every one of my players like they were my son. And that's all you have to do. And I can tell you this, all right, would you put your son in, back in that game when you saw it? Forget this back and ankle BS that, that we, we heard about. This is clearly from head trauma. That's it, a concussion. I know what it looks like. We all know what it looks like, all right? My answer is this. No way in hell I put my son back in that, uh, in that game. Hmm. No way in hell. And you know what? No way in hell I put somebody else's son back out there either. Yeah. This is an epic fail, and it's a fail on the coach, too. So, and like I'm, I said, it could possibly be a massive setback for the National Football League. And I'm talking about 20, 25, 30 years from now. Why? Because these are the little guys that we're expecting to be the next Toms, the next Patrick Mahomes. So I'm waiting to see what they come up with and what decisions they make and what rules changes they do make in this. Well, I mean, we, we, we just re-entered the Stone Age is what we did. And here it is. It's, it's only week four. Right. How comfortable and everyone out there watching, I want you to think about this, too. How comfortable until you feel like it's going to be when you see him back on the field again? Yeah. Right. Because how, how long is it going to be? Because, I mean, you're in protocol now and you can be back in two weeks. I mean, you can be back. You, you'll, you'll get to be feeling good again. But um, there, there's going to come a, come a time where two is going to be back on that field and then everybody's going to be watching. It. I just hope for his sake. And now being married to a retired player, your perspective when you get in your late 30s and 40s and you've been out of the game for a little while, it changes. And I hope Tua and the people around him take a long view because I hope he has a long and beautiful life that is not okay. interrupted by any of this. Um. Hmm. One of the things I found interesting there is, I don't know if you remember this, but Teddy Bruschi had a stroke in yes. return to football. Same season, I think. Teddy Bruschi had a stroke in return to football. That, that, that's my memory. And maybe let me go to the internet to make sure that I'm. But to sit here and to act like Mike McDaniel, particularly Rex Ryan, we didn't show the entire clip, but Rex Ryan got all 
hypercritical and emotional and, uh, you know, all this performative stuff like, hey, man, this is football. And, and this is why I was so happy that Michael Irvin, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and that has not always been the case. For years, before I ever knew Michael Irvin, I was one of his biggest critics. I called him the pipe maker. I used to, and then I met Michael Irvin and, and spent time with Michael Irvin, and this had to be 15 years ago maybe, I, I can't remember, but one of the smartest, most genuine, most caring human beings I've ever met. And so when you sent me this clip yesterday of Michael Irvin on first take, I wasn't surprised, I was impressed, but I was not surprised. Let's play the clip. This thing all transpired. I mean, I, I felt like everybody was placing this on Coach McDaniel, and I thought that was totally unfair. Totally unfair. It, 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 this is a first-year coach who has come in and has done an incredible job with the football team by putting players in position to win and using their gifts and their talents. And we had a very unfortunate, very unfortunate situation. For people to start questioning this man's character, he has nothing in his history that says he has anything anywhere would, uh, would put, any, put anybody in harm's way like this. For us to start putting it on him, where he has to sit up here and describe his intimate relationship and how close him and Tua is so we can try to believe his, his reasoning behind playing Tua. I, th I thought that was too far. I thought that was wrong. You know, he, he didn't make the final decision. I'm glad they got rid of the people that they thought might have made a, made a bad decision or made a mistake in the process of evaluating Tua. But we were absolutely out of line in and, and pushing this upon Coach McDaniel. This is a young man who just got in the league. Moving forward, players are going to determine, do I want to go over there and play with him? And, and, and to put this on him, and he hadn't earned it, I thought was wrong. And I actually thought it was some jealousy by some of the other people in the league of his success. And I heard people say, I haven't seen anything like this in 40 years. Stop lying. 12 years we've had this protocol in place. We, before that, we used to watch people get knocked out, go over to the bench, me, myself, take smell and salt and go back in the game. The hyperbole to try to make him look even worse is what I did not like. I thought mm -hmm. they were wrong for doing that. People think I just hate ESPN, but if ESPN was that, you'd never hear me criticize ESPN. All you would do is see me doing exactly what I'm doing today. Michael Irvin kept it real 100%. I didn't even know you could do that on ESPN. I didn't know you could be honest and talk about the reality because I watched on Sunday, the, the clip I played, I watched four people that was like, these guys, Rex Ryan? I know, I know his brother, Rob, well, used to come on my show. They're his, Buddy Ryan's son. Yeah, uh-huh. Buddy Ryan? And the defenses he coached? And the kind of hitting that went on in the NFL the entire time? And got, you know, they used to show the people on the sidelines with the smelling salt underneath their nose after taking a big hit. And we're acting like, oh, this is beyond the pale. Teddy Bruschi comes out and plays after having a stroke? Matter, the phoniness of these people blows my mind. Thank God for Michael Irvin. It, it restored my faith like, oh, men at ESPN are allowed to carry balls with him. They just gotta be man enough to demand that they hold it. They don't turn them over to Sam Ponder or Molly Karam or whomever. They're just man enough to say, nah, I got these pair and I'm gonna let them hang. Thank you.
Michael Irvin, you restored my faith in humanity. Well, do you mean Michael Irvin or Touchdown Jakes? Because he was preaching, and I almost got the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's a, that's a Miami hurricane right there. That's a renegade. Um, I like Rex Ryan. He's one of my favorite characters in football. I actually wanted him to be a great, successful coach because he was a breath of fresh air because the, he was the anti-Belichick. He wasn't just Captain Cliche. He'd be bold. He'd be fun. But I have a question. If we So if you're saying that every staff that Rex Ryan was – on whether it's the head coach defensive coordinator or just an assistant you would never find a player throughout all these years in the national football league that ever took painkillers that was ever shot up before a game that played when they are you sure rex really so you treated every single kid like oh you know what that sprained ankle don't take that shot don't take those painkillers you know what stay out even though the playoffs on the line as a guy that's like a son to me really rex you're telling me you have never, especially based on your father's background, when they used to go two a days with full pads and just kill each other for hours. I, Rex is going through, I believe, some revisionist history to fit the agenda. Now, all of that stuff, uh, and I said it to you, you're doing the show, but the performance that Dominic Foxworth put on today on one of those ESPN shows I saw on my phone on Twitter, he literally had the nerve to say... <laughs> This is about the fans. The fans only care about the game. and they. I'm like, Dominique, the fans actually just watch football to watch football. Right. If you're a football player, we care about your performance as a football player. I, I know it's a novel thing, but here's the issue, Dominique. Go to your players' union. They sign off on all of this. The extra games. They, they couldn't have done this unilaterally. How about this? Why doesn't your player union fight for more natural grass fields, which seem to be a little bit safer in terms of impact? It's amazing what is going on here is that I believe Michael Irvin is kind of protected because, remember, he's on ESPN, right, the Emasculated Scent Programming Network, but he's not a full-time member. He does guest spots, but he's got other forms of revenue. He has options to tell the truth. The thing that you're telling me about Dominique Foxworth is, is, is blowing my mind. It's like the, the, these people make all this money playing this violent game that's predicated on feeding people's thirst for competitive violence. Right. That's what football is. People have a thirst to see competitive violence. And that's what made the game popular, and that's why Dominique Foxworth and all these other guys signed million-dollar contracts. That's why they're on TV. And then once they get off TV, they oh, that game is so brutal and so rough, and, and these fans are so diabolical and evil, and oh, my God, they don't care about us as people. It's like they want to close the drawbridge and say, let's shut it off for everybody else. I'm just, Dominique, why do you think people go to the games, watch it on TV? Why do we watch boxing? Why do we watch UFC? Why do we watch football? We like to see competitive violence. Yeah. I used it to get a college scholarship and yeah. get college educated. Dominique used it probably for the same reasons and to make millions of dollars. Now you want to catch religion and be repulsed by the game? Then quit talking about it. If you weren't a football player, you wouldn't be on TV. You wouldn't have this post-career that you have. These people are so dishonest, so phony, 
so emasculated. It's embarrassing. They don't have the good sense to be embarrassed. They don't even, they don't understand the game. They don't understand what makes it popular. They don't understand how they made their money. They're idiots. To put this on the fans who literally have no say in the process, that's the God's honest truth. They literally have no say in the process except to make the choice to watch it and support it financially, which most of the benefits and the rewards go to the owners and the players. And if Dominic Foxworth is looking for picket lines of fans with signs that say, stop the violence, uh, less tackling, please, and us marching in circles, a a, a Foxworth, not going to happen. And, and you're right. And I see this with boxing fans all the time. They're the biggest hypocrites, the ones that talk about the sweet science, the art of boxing, the manly art of self-defense. But can I just be honest with you? When me and my friends or any other people online, on Twitter, when we talk boxing, there's very few times, maybe when it comes to Pernell Whitaker, Jason, when we talk about memorable fights or bouts that we rewatch, I never actually say, hey, Jason, man, the fainting and the slipping and dodging of punches, wow, I could watch that all day. No, we love the blood and guts. We have to be honest about it. This is a gladiator sport, as is football and a team concept. But to put it on the fans... Uh, that, that to me blew my mind. I sent you the clip. I think your head's going to explode, Jason. But the guy literally had a, had the nerve to say that some of this is on the fans. <laughs> Give me a damn break. I, I don't, these people are just so disingenuous, so dishonest, so phony, fake, and stupid. I, I just, me and JB, Jason Brown, talked about it yesterday. It's like they're throwing all these athletes on, and, and w- many of them just don't understand. They knew their position. They could backpedal fast. They could run fast. They could jump. They could do all that, but they don't remotely understand. I can remember back before I was exiled and kicked out of the mainstream, the NBA used to have me come speak to the NBA rookies mm. uh, at the symposium. And, and try to feed them some truth. And, and I can remember young NBA players, and this is across the board, arguing with me, saying that the majority of fans in the stands were under 25 and many of them black. And, and, and I was like, you don't even understand who the customers are. And so how can you serve them if you don't know who the customers are? I was like, are you kidding me? This is, and literally, I'm having this argument with him where he thinks that the arenas are filled. There's a student section at college games. Don't get it twisted. That, That little small percentage of students they let in at college games, that's not who's actually in the arena. And certainly when it comes to the NBA and professional sports, there is no student section. It's a bunch of grown men taking their kids and families to games. It's corporations and people are there to see competitive violence. One of the reasons that everybody loves to say the NFL is so popular because of gambling, because of gambling. And that's why that's the only advantage it has over the NBA. You can bet on the NBA. The gambling's there. What's yeah. not there is the violent competition. And, the, and, 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 and that's how the violence is how we know, like, man, these guys are really competing. 
They're mad at each other. And that's why the NBA league where everybody's best friends now and everybody does jersey swaps and everybody uh, vacations to get, it's not as compelling as it was when the Boston Celtics and Detroit Pistons used to throw Michael Jordan to the ground and there would be fights. Jason, those youngsters, uh, those young men who told you that the demographic makeup of the NBA was mostly under 25 and black. They, they just showed you they'd never actually been to an NBA game. Uh, honestly, the biggest issue that I have right now with some athletes is they will tell you as they take their talents to a city for the most amount of money. And this, this is fine because we are capitalists here in this great country of America. You are mercenaries. You are professionals that get paid based on your trade and your skill, which you have earned. But you are mercenaries, which is fine. So with that mercenary mindset, do not expect me as a fan or anyone else to treat you as my family member. Like I told you, Eric Dickerson was one of the four big posters I had on my wall as a, as a young man growing up in Montebello, California. It was one of those Sports Illustrated posters that were very, very, very popular in the 80s in a Rams uniform. The day he got traded, Halloween night, 1987, one of the saddest days of my life. It was the first time I realized they don't care about me. He doesn't care about this Korean kid in East L.A. that just worshipped him. He wanted more money, and he got shipped off to his old coach in Indianapolis, Ron Meyer. was never quite the same. I'll never forget, Jason, that Wednesday, my Sports Illustrated comes in my mailbox. Now, like you, that was one of the special days of my childhood. Every week, that SI would come. That cover meant something. So I open up the mailbox, and it's Eric Dickerson in a Colt uniform. I mean, a part of me died because his first game was with the Jets. They actually threw him in there. I, I, I looked at this thing for like 20 seconds, and I just said, say it ain't so. But you know what, Eric? You wanted your money. You're a mercenary, and I'm just a fan. So obviously, you didn't care about me. So do not act like you deserve to be treated like a member of the family. It does not work that way. The other thing is, uh, great, great discussion with Jason Brown. Boy, he's a renegade. I am loving those segments, right? And what's interesting is not my biggest thing is not only are the players not really experts on the game, which is kind of understandable because a left tackle will not necessarily know how to break down a cover three. I get it. OK, the worst thing is a lot of these athletes try to become social and cultural critics. And they use this whole racial thing. And meanwhile, they know I am living in a white gated community while demonizing these very same people I call my neighbors. That, to me, is the most maddening thing, is that particular hypocrisy. Steve, got to let you go, bro. Hate to do it, but uh, we're out of time. I hear tomorrow. That means we'll see you tomorrow. Later.
I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be. 